Okay, last week, um, just to kind of real quick review, we talked about what happened at the house of Obed-Edom. The ark had gone there, and the people were blessed, or his household was blessed uh, immensely as a result of that. The ark makes its way to the city of Jerusalem, finally. Uh, We took a moment and just glanced at 1 Chronicles 15. It was what we could call a great day of... Uh, jubilation and celebration where all these things happen and then we we finished with Michael who was Michael and and it depends on uh, the the tense of what we're talking about Alan made a really good comment about Michael last week that uh, I thought about a little bit over last week but Michael was what was whom who was who one of David's wives, right? And I want to go back and just quickly read verses 20 through 23, talk about it for maybe two to three minutes. We could spend 30 minutes talking about this, but I want to spend maybe three minutes talking about it. Michael returned to, I'm sorry, David returned to bless his household, verse 20. This is 2 Samuel chapter 6. This is after the celebration uh, or as part of the celebration. And she said, that Michael, the daughter of Saul, and I appreciate if you weren't here last week, uh, again, Alan made some really good comments about whether or not um, she's the wife at this point, depending on the things that happened earlier. Uh, But it says the daughter of Saul came out to meet David. How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of his maids and of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Now, this is the new King James Version, and a couple of you came to me afterward uh, Wednesday evening last week and said, you know, that you had a slightly different translation. David said, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all of his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music for the Lord, and I will even be more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Um, and then that very last statement there, verse 23, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. So we talked about that just in very brief terms that there are some who suggest that um, David was inappropriate in the way that he was dressed. Uh, another major school of thought is that he was undignified in the way that he presented himself rather than being kingly and ornate and proper uh, and poised. He was more like the average uh, celebrant in the, going into the city at that point. And then a third or maybe two and a half options is this idea that Michael was really bent out of shape. And this goes to the point that I think Alan was trying to make last week, and someone else made the point afterwards. Um, I need to make sure I write down all the comments afterwards because people have so many good comments as, as we're leaving the building. Um, but that perhaps this is a situation where Michael has really been out of shape over the fact that Saul and uh, his kingdom was the real kingdom and David was the the fake substitute kingdom in her eyes. So there's, there's two, two and a half, three different ways of looking at the passage. Wanted to spend just a couple moments gauging your thoughts on that. Um, and I appreciate Brother David leading us in prayer, acknowledging that there are some difficult things uh, to, to gather out of these texts. So thoughts that you want to add? Anything? 
uh, Miss Diana over here, and then anybody else so I can prep uh, David for the microphone. We'll go to Miss Diana here. I, I think that it's just plain embarrassment on her part. Okay. Uh, the fact that she mentioned the young women and him, his dancing before them, that I, I have never thought of that she even thought about her father. She was so upset about what he did. Very fair. Thank you for sharing that. Very good. Uh, Brother Sam up here. I want to make you work out, David. Thank you, David, for doing that. Thank you to all of our AV guys for diligently doing all that work. Do we know exactly how long Mm. Michael was away from David? Because she was was given to someone else. Mm. She may have gotten over David, may have actually loved the guy she was with, and now she's been just stripped from him and brought back to David. And I don't know that it ever says that she loved him again like she did at the first. Mm -hmm. She loved him. So, you know, I I think there's probably a lot going on there that we will never really understand. I think that's a great way of putting it. And Mitch will answer those questions next week. (laughs) All right, just things to ponder. And and seriously, on a serious note, if you do think of something, bring it up for Mitch next week. and we can continue talking about that and have a dialogue after services on that. Um, the last thing I'll point out here that we didn't talk about is uh, there's a lengthy section of First Chronicles chapter 16 and then the corresponding 105th Psalm, which uh, are songs uh, and poems of celebration of the things that have happened. Think about that this is uh, a great cause for the nation of Israel to celebrate. They are all very excited over what has happened, over what is happening. And so uh, think about Memorial Day celebrations or Independence Day celebrations or uh, if you're a Canadian, Canadian Day or whatever national holiday you celebrate. This is going to be a Memorial uh, Day for people to really kind of think back. Remember a year ago when all this happened? That was a great day. Let's go back and read that song and sing that song again. Okay, I want to go ahead, and this is where we were going to end last week, so pretend that we're in the last three minutes um, uh, of our last Wednesday evening study. And David Creech and I were talking about some of the lessons learned. Going back to chapters 5 and 6, this includes Uzzah. uh, This includes the ark being brought in. This includes uh, taking over Jerusalem. Just four quick lessons. One of those is that God always achieves his plans, gets his job done in spite of those who want to stop or otherwise thwart him. And we see that from chapter 5. I I took that from chapter 5. Uh, Number two in our list of big takeaways at the conclusion of this study is to always seek the Lord's wishes and will in everything you do. Always do what he wants, not what you want. And that was certainly um, a trademark, so to speak, of David. Whatever your will is, is what I want done. Uh, Similarly, uh, and going into chapter 6, verses 5, 6, and 7, where you see the events with Ohio and Uzzah, uh, the Lord's ways are the only ways to do those things. And so you can make a new cart and think that that's a new and improved and fancy, shiny way of doing things, 
but you've got to go back to the text, back to the book of Exodus, back to the Old Testament passages that we looked at last week to really appreciate the way in which God wants things done. And the fourth thing is that one of the best ways to praise the Lord is in song. That's how David responded Uh, that's how we respond. We sing songs of praise uh, when we come together on occasions like this. Um, When we come together to sing songs, we are doing so saying, Lord, you are great. You are worthy of praise. Other major takeaways from the first six chapters that I haven't highlighted. These are not the only things that we're to walk away with. Okay, let's get into our new material tonight. Um, get into here, here, and that's chapter seven. Chapter seven uh, is um, a medium length, and chapter eight is a short length chapter. So we should be able to do, I think, a decent job of covering it. Uh, Want to cover uh, chapter seven, then eight, and then we're going to do some bonus psalms, and then we'll end with some applications that we can learn. Um, David comes to this realization or kind of sits back in his chair and says, hmm, at the beginning of chapter 7. And what does he realize or vocalize? Right. I've got a nice house. The Lord's ark is dwelling in tents, in temporary homes. And uh, is this commendable? Absolutely. Right. Go, goes to the heart of, of Ezra 1 and 2, uh, Ezra 1 particularly, a little bit of chapter 3, which is what we talked about this past Sunday morning a little bit. So this is, I mean, I, I, not, I didn't mean that to be a trick question. I think it's just commendable. I mean, David's saying, you know, I'm taken care of, but there are needs to glorify the Lord that need to be taken care of as well. Uh, let's look in chapter 7. We're not going to read the first uh, seven verses of chapter 7. Um, but uh, Nathan responds to him in verse 3 uh, to do what? Go ahead and do it. However, Nathan has something happen to him, right? And what does God say to Nathan in short? No. No. He says no. So Nathan says yes. God says no. End of story, right? That's the end of it. Now there's more to the explanation as to why these things are going to happen. And and our fifth graders could tell you some of this story and, and flesh it out a little bit. God comes along, though, and in about verse 8 says, these are my plans. David says, this is what I'm going to do. You can imagine the excitement that David had. He was probably already drawing up plans in his, in his head. He was already online looking at Lowe's, and, and he was already calling Shane up and saying, let's build this, um, and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, being somewhat joking here, but I, I, I imagine that David was excited about this. And then God comes along and says, no, just hold on. I've got another plan. I want to read not 8 through 17, but 8 through parts of the section here. It says, now therefore thus, says, thus you shall say to my servant David, 
I took you from the sheepfold, from following sheep to be ruler over my people. I have been with you wherever you've gone, cut off all your enemies from before you, verse 9, and have made you a great name like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them. I, thought that, I love that terminology, I will plant them, I'll put them there. Uh, that they may dwell in the place of their own and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously since the time I commanded judges to be over my people Israel. Also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days, verse 12, are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body. I will establish his kingdom. And then verse 13, the very first word, and this is going back to what I think our fifth graders could tell you from their Bible classes. It says that he shall be the one that will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father. He shall be my son. And then he goes on and says, if he does good things, I'll bless him. If he does evil, bad things are going to happen to him. Um, Before we get to David's reaction to this, what would be a typical, almost, um, I almost want to say American uh, reaction to this kind of thing? Or what would be a human reaction to what just happened? Yeah. Nathan said, I could do it. Now you're telling me I can't do it. And by the way, God didn't go directly to David to give him this information. He does so, th- again, by way of, of Nathan. What else might be a reaction on the part of David at this point? Of, a, of an average human being. Yeah, Debbie. Sure. Okay. Great apple. Great. Right. <laughs> great application. I'll repeat that now that David's got the microphone over there. No, that's okay. We're, um, and that is sometimes we think we are doing what's right. And what is best or what is prudent, this isn't exactly what Debbie said, but I'm kind of paraphrasing. But we've got to remember that we've got to do it the way he wants to do it, Second Samuel chapter 6. Uh, and we've got to do it in the time that he wants to do it and the personnel with whom it's supposed to happen. Uh, reminds me of, what is it, Second Chronicles 26, am I right? When Isaiah goes in and burns incense, am I... Am I, am I did I dream that up, or is that right? I think it's Second, Second Chronicles 26. I see a couple heads nodding yes. Isaiah, right, doing that. So you have other people who say, well, this would be good for me to do, even though I don't have the authority to do it. And they get themselves in trouble. So I think that's a really good point. Sam here up, up front, and then Alan after, after Sam, David. Something that jumps out at me is, and I think this is a good principle, When it comes to men of God, we have to be careful that we understand when they give their opinion about something versus when they give God's opinion about something. Okay. And that's what Nathan did. His opinion was, oh, sure, go ahead. But then God comes and straightens him out. You know, now he's got to be the one that, oh, well, here's what God's word. So whether it's someone standing, you know, at the pulpit to preach or, or teach or really anywhere, mm-hmm. um, just because someone is a, quote, man of God or representing that they are giving people good advice, that's all it may be is just their opinion or their advice. 
And it may not really be grounded in God's word. So that's why we always have to test and question. Good point. Very good application. Good principle to consider. Brother Allen? Yeah, the whole concept of the temple is tricky, right? David, he's commendable for his idea, I think, mm-hmm. but he's misplaced. Mm-hmm. And God doesn't just say no to him. If, if To paraphrase those first few verses of his response, it's essentially, what makes you think I'd be interested in that? Yeah. I mean, he really, mm-hmm. really kind of excoriates the whole plan and that I... And then goes on to explain to him, I like humble things. I picked you when you were humble, didn't I? And I did something special with you. He, the Lord never, to my knowledge, gets excited about the concept of the temple. He will co-sign it throughout the history. But even all the way into Stephen's speech, his great sermon, he gives three examples in that sermon. God cho- chose Joseph, but you rejected him. God chose Moses, but you rejected him. God chose the tabernacle, but you wanted to build a temple. I mean, the temple in some ways represents the way we misunderstand how we should be worshiping God in some ways because God's already told us how to worship him. And, mm-hmm. and though commendable, sometimes it can be misplaced, as, as comments have said, and we decide this might be better, though. This would, we like this better. And the temple is going to be a stumbling block for Israel but several times in their history. That's exactly where I was going to go next. And that is, is it possible that the temple could have... Did I miss anyone? Uh, Brother Bruce here. While we're going to Brother Bruce. Um, it, okay, it is possible and it is proven that the temple was indeed an issue of a stumbling block for these people. And today, application 2,000 years, 3,000 years later, is that... Men, church buildings, denominations, whatever, can be stumbling blocks as well from keeping us focused on what really needs to be the focus. Brother Bruce. I think we're seeing uh, David, of course, thinking of the temporary. He's looking at the tabernacle as something that he thinks is a shame for God's art to be in. Mm-hmm. and God's people to worship and, and God to be in. God said, no, that's not not true. He doesn't dwell in those things. But God is looking for the permanent, that which is forever, which God is responding to David that there's something better than a tabernacle. There's something mm-hmm. better than a temple coming, and it's going to be brought long after he's gone, uh, by someone from his body, Jesus Christ, uh, who is God's son, who uh, will be on his throne uh, forever. Absolutely. And, and that dwelling place uh, eventually is going to be among his people. And that's what we look forward to. It's just, it's just interesting in those few verses how we, how we see the difference uh, as God says, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts mm-hmm. are not your thoughts. Absolutely. Uh, that he absolutely is. Very good. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Brother Dan, all the way over here. <laughs> we, we purposely choreographed this so that, that David would have to work tonight. While we're going to Brother Dan, I couldn't help but think about John 1, 14. God tabernacled with us in the fact that Jesus is the tabernacle, the, the permanency like you talked about. Brother Dan. 
Just before we're too hard on David and his attitude, I wanted to read from Psalm 132 because it does memorialize something good about where his heart is mm-hmm. here. And that's, this is ultimately what is meant to be remembered about uh, his, his intentions, which were pure. It simply didn't harmonize with God's will. In Psalm 132, uh, remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. It's actually the very opposite of the attitude in, as you open Haggai, that everybody was dwelling for, it took 20 years to get the temple rebuilt. They all lived in fancy houses, mm-hmm. but they had not given attention to the Lord's house. They faced some opposition and they quit. And Haggai and Zechariah, they didn't give them, the Lord didn't give them any allowance for that. So, you know, David's attitude, even even if his intentions were a little uh, off base, it's memorialized for good. Good, good observation. And in fact, um, Dan and I did not discuss this before tonight. We're going to use those two passages a little bit later in our study. So I appreciate you bringing that up. All right, that's actually a good segue into David's reaction, uh, which Mitch kind of talked about the potential for a human, an average human's reaction to, okay, thanks but no thanks. Uh, this is not what I want. I want something different. And if you go and read those, uh, I guess, 12 verses there, I summarized it with four major points. The first thing that jumped out to me was the phrase that it says, he sat before the Lord. Um, to me, that's it's humility, it's silence, it's I'm ready to listen to what you have to say, even if it may not be what I thought I wanted to hear, going back to Miss Debbie's point, because I thought I was going to be doing something that was going to be really good and grander and exciting and all that kind of stuff. But he sits before the Lord. He focuses his trust in the Lord. He says, I, I trust you. Um, I'm looking particularly at chapter 7, roughly verse uh, 18 through 20, 20, 21. Then I want to read verses 22 through 24. He says, therefore, he, do, he doesn't say, who are you to tell me that I can't build the temple? Who are you to tell me that I can't do something great? Here, I was going to do, and that's not the attitude of David at all, but rather verse 22, he says, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make for himself a name? Verse 24, you have made your people Israel your very own people forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. I'm not sure that if I thought I was going to do something really great and grand, and God says... No, I've got a different plan, that I would be as gracious as David was on this particular occasion. I admire, going back to the point that uh, Dan was making a few moments ago and that we'll come back to at the end of our study, his reaction. And then the last thing he does in verses 28 and 29 is ultimately, it seems to me, he, he sought a blessing from the Lord. 28 says, Lord... You are God, and your words are true. You have promised this goodness to your servant. Now, therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant 
that it may continue before you forever for you, O Lord God, have spoken it, and with your blessing, let the house of your servant be blessed forever. Just, I'm, I'm, I'm struck with the attitude of David, and we've highlighted this now because we are students of Second Samuel. Things are going to get not good for David in two weeks or three weeks, depending on, I forget when we're actually getting into 11 and 12. But David is showing himself to be, well, let's call it what it is, a man after the heart of the Lord. And say, okay, you are great. And like um, uh, Bruce quoted a moment or so ago, your ways are better than my ways. I don't understand what your plans are necessarily. Uh, Let me kind of take a quick break here and do what I've called three additional observations. Number two is one that we've kind of already touched on a little bit. But one of those is, is what we know here in verse chapter 7 and in verse 13. He shall build. Who's the he? It's going to be Solomon, right? So Solomon is ultimately going to be the builder of the Lord's house. If we go to First Chronicles chapter 22 and look at verses 9 and, and approximately in that territory, we'll see where that's fleshed out a little bit further. This is a fact that I, I truly believe that if you asked our fifth and sixth graders, they'd be able to say, yeah, David didn't build the temple. Solomon was the one who God chose for that purpose. Secondly, and this is to the point of John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, the first five verses, we see that Jesus is described as the son of whom? Son, son of God as well as the son of David, right? So we see a direct relationship with the promise that God was making uh, a thousand years or so before Jesus would ever come to this earth and it coming to fruition. And then the third big observation is that there was knowledge that the Messiah was still to come. Uh, I, I put Genesis 3, verse 15. We're familiar with that prophecy. Acts chapter 2. Uh, look at how much territory Peter uses in talking about what character. Uh, here's soft, slow pitch softball. What Old Testament character does Peter talk about more in Acts 2 than, in it, than any other character? David, right? So makes makes sense to us when we read the whole Bible. And this is one of those occasions where when you're talking with someone, like we talked about last week, who's new to Scripture, new to Bible study, that when you see these things, their eyes are like, that's really neat. I, I see it now. I see it all kind of coming into focus. Anything else on chapter 7? Because I want to spend the final 16 minutes on chapter 8 and then some applications. All right. Uh, let's go to chapter 8. Chapter 8 is relatively brief, um, and it, it shifts gears in the sense that we're no longer talking about tabernacle and temple. Uh, we're now kind of going in doing a summation of David's successes and David's administration. Uh, David had major continued military success while God continues to bless him. And God is the one who's in control. God is the one to whom all credit belongs. Uh, We know that from reading chapter 8. We won't read all of chapter 8, but I do want to read a couple of verses here. Uh, go down to verse 6. 
David put garrisons in Syria of Damascus, and the Syrians became David's servants and brought tribute. And then notice uh, the last part here. It says, so the Lord preserved David wherever he went. I think that's important to maybe underline or at least kind of stick in your head. The Lord preserved David. It would be very easy for a person of military uh, success to say, look at all the good that I've done. Look at all of the successes that are the result of my military innovations. But whoever the author is, likely Samuel here, and the Holy Spirit ultimately wanted us to get the point that the Lord preserved David wherever he went. Uh, Drop down to, let's go down to verse 9. When Toi, or Toi, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated all the army of Hadadezer, then Toy sent Joram, his son, to King David to greet him, to bless him, because he had fought against him and defeated him. Joram brought with him articles of silver, of gold, and bronze. And then verses 11 and 12 King David also dedicated these to the Lord along with the silver and gold that he had dedicated from all the nations which he had subdued. Uh, and verse 12, from the spoil as well. What does that teach us? I'm, I'm going to ask you what the next point is, the sub-point that I'm going to make here without putting it up there. Why did I read those verses? What's, what's, what strikes you in those two to three verses? Just in brief. God is worthy of honor, absolutely. And that goes to the heart of what I'm saying here. Uh, he, he takes these gifts and he takes the spoil and he says, this is an opportunity to honor God. How easy would it have been for a worldly-minded monarch to take all this and say, oh, look, this could be in my private residence. This could be something for me to show off to others. This could be something that is an opportunity for me to say, look how wealthy I am, and look how, again, successful I have been. Reminds me a lot of uh, the book of Luke. I think it's in yeah, chapter 12, where you have a lot of I, 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 me, 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 and look at all the good that I have done, and this night your soul is going to be required of you. That was just the thought that I had, had there. We'll get to the end of chapter 8 here in just a second, but thoughts on what I, I know we, we breeze through chapter 8 kind of quickly. Anything else that you wanted to really point out? Dedicate, yes. Um, And that kind of goes back to um, the whole notion of what we dedicate to the Lord. We dedicate our financial resources to him, uh, to the Lord's church. We dedicate our time. We sacrifice ourselves. We do all those things that the Lord has asked us to do. Sometimes we talk about the three T's, time, talent, and treasure. And those are things that belong to God and belong to his people. So I like that word dedication as well. Brother Mitch here. Uh, and then we'll, I want to look at verses 15 through uh, the end of the chapter here very quickly here. Uh, two points real quick. Uh, first, I, uh, it's amazing what you can do when you're not taking 3,000 of your men to chase a, a, you know, one of your servants around the country um, like we saw with Saul. Um, you know, David is not spending his time that way, and he conquers all this land uh, that should have been conquered before. 
Um, but also then dedicating all of that, uh, all of the spoil to the Lord. I mean, that's something that, you know, Saul, when he conquered the Amalekites, the people ran away with a lot of that spoil. Mm-hmm. That's why he said we didn't destroy everything is because the people wanted it and they took it. Yeah. Um, and you see that with David when he first takes over that they, they go and they destroy Amalekites again. They want to just keep the spoil for themselves. But David says, no, this isn't how how it's going to be done, right? It's going to be divided evenly because the Lord is giving us the victory. You know, David's kingdom is run in a very different way uh, than what they were used to with Saul. Good. And that's a good uh, kind of uh, pathway into the final five verses, which is things go very well in David's kingdom. He's got it organized. He's got it efficiently run. And the one thing that, that just jumped out to me was... He says, the text says he reigned over all of Israel, and it says he administered judgment and justice to all his people. So he's not just this harsh uh, military uh, leader. He's also a man of justice and a man of peace and a man of judgment who is there to uh, take care of his people. Uh, Basic government functions, whether they be... 19th century Western governments like we're familiar with, or 18th century, I guess, or whether they be 3,000 years ago, are there to promote justice. And God's governing principles is don't steal, don't be unfair, don't lie, don't do all those things that are basic to every moral code of who we are. Uh, And then the last thing uh, that I would point out here is that you have what I would call, uh, well, it is what it should be called, a fulfillment of Genesis 15, verses 18 through 21, where uh, it says, the Lord made a covenant, and he says, to your descendants, I have given this land, I love the phrase of that, I have given from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates, and then he lists all the ites. And we see that coming to fruition here in the first seven to eight chapters of Second Samuel. want to shift gears yet again in our final six minutes here, or five and a half, and that is there are uh, psalms in Second Samuel. Now, not really psalms in Second Samuel, although there are some. Uh, and I don't want to step on someone else's material. Bruce, is this you coming up? In the, okay, well, I'll step on it then. Uh, Step away. Bruce is going to be doing an exposition of Psalms at some point uh, this year or next year? This year. Okay, very good. We're looking forward to it. Uh, he's going to be talking about Psalms. There are three or four that jumped out to me uh, that are likely authored in these days or definitively authored in these days or authored by David or one of David's associates or someone that knew by way of the Holy Spirit. Let me just talk about three of them very quickly, and we're just going to read three or four verses here. I want to go to Psalm 89, and just if you want to read the whole psalm and really study it more this week, you're welcome to, but Psalm 89 uh, and verses uh, 2 through 4, for I have said, 
Mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall establish in the very heavens. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David. Your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. So you can see how those three or four verses kind of get a flavor of what we've been talking about thus far. Uh, appreciate Dan bringing up Psalm 132. And you'll notice I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not that sneaky. I didn't have a chance to put that in there before the, in the last 20 minutes. But Psalm 132 is a brilliant text. And in fact, the first five verses where Dan read for us, so we won't go back and reread those, is a highlighting of David's character and why in the book of Acts he is described, it seems to me, as a man after God's own heart. And there are more than just these three, but the other one that jumped out to me that I wanted to just kind of highlight here is Psalm 60, uh, uh, particularly uh, verse 4 jumps out to me, uh, the last couple of verses, but verse 4, you have given a banner to those who fear you that it may be displayed because of the truth that your beloved may be delivered, save with your right hand, and hear me. And then he goes on and he talks about uh, a lot of the different enemies that uh, the Lord's people were able to take care of, not because of David's uh, military um, successes, but because of the Lord's successes that we've uh, talked about. All right. Uh, in our final two to three minutes here, let's just talk about a couple of lessons learned. I, I was going to come up with three, but I came up with four that I added in there. And um, Dan and I are apparently on the same wavelength because I couldn't, uh, the whole time I'm reading this, I'm thinking about Haggai chapter one. Um, what does Haggai one verses one through five say in, in short? You live in paneled houses, which that may be a 70s or 80s thing in terms of design. Uh, we had paneled houses in Indiana when we were growing up. I remember the termites coming through it. That's how I remember that. Um, but you live in a very nice house, and you as a people are not focusing on the Lord, his house, his purposes. And it was more than just as... Um, even as Alan kind of talked about a few moments ago, it was more than just the temple. It was the people and their hearts and their attitudes. Uh, So God and his purposes always matter the most. Secondly, praise of the Lord should always be our reaction to the good he's done, even when it doesn't make sense to us. Um, David says, you're not going to let me build the house? No, he doesn't. I said, all right. He says, I'm still going to praise you. Because you are the only God. When, going back to where we started with Miss Debbie's thought, we may think we know what's best. We may think we know what's right. But God may have a different plan. And we see that throughout Scripture. Three, very simple one, but one that I, I just I went ahead and inserted, is that God always keeps his promises. Always. And then four, we should use our blessings for the Lord and his will. I'm thinking particularly about the spoil of war. I'm thinking about the things that were given to him um, back by Joram back in chapter 8, verses 10 through 12. Anything else in our final 60 seconds before we wrap up here? 
All right, just very quickly for next week, go ahead uh, and if you would read chapters 9 uh, and 10. And if you want to go ahead and begin reading into chapter 11, you're welcome to do so. If you don't have the heart to get into chapter 11 yet, you can hold off a week. Uh, it's like a professor once wrote to me when I was writing a, a paper. He said, I didn't want to read what was coming next because it was about a, a, a historical subject. And he said, I was, he said I, was, I was hoping that it wouldn't happen again. But, of course, it, it, it's going to be there, whether you like it or not. So we'll read the good and the bad because that's what God wants us to appreciate is the lessons that we learn from people's successes uh, and from their not-so-successes. All right, we'll go ahead and stop there. Thank you for your kind attention.